This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello, and thanks for joining the programme. I wonder how many of you who were with us last week pondered over the question we were left with at the end of that programme. Am I able to find the delight, peace, fulfilment that is available to me at any moment of the day in any task? How many can definitely say yes to that question? Not all that many, I would suspect, and most of us would have to admit to finding some of what we do tedious and even boring. Especially the tasks that we're compelled to do, even if we ourselves are doing the compelling. Is it even possible to be inspired by everything that we do? Even the mundane tasks we negatively describe as chores. This discussion points us back to the blog, our opening question, Am I able to find the delight, peace, fulfillment that is available to me any moment of the day in any task, came from? The blog of Rob Fletcher, author of At Your Best and founder of Quicksert Consulting. It's a blog inspired by the Buddhist mind training maxim, Abandon All Hope of Fruition, or, as it appears in Namkarpel's mind training like the rays of the sun, Give Up All Hope of Reward. Fletcher's question actually leads into a follow-up that he wrote to an initial blog discussing the maxim. In the follow-up, he admits it's not an easy question. And then he says, But all we know we have for sure is this moment. And if we want to be plumb, to be on target with our task, we need strong building blocks. Work done soured by resentment or endless perceived self-sacrifice is not a firm foundation. Persistence is built brick by patient brick. Those bricks and the cornerstones are all made of the same stuff, the quality of our lives right in this moment. Writing blog posts comes to my mind for me. I can either trudge away writing in hopes that I'll hear from readers or that I'll get more readers, that I'll somehow get more work from what I write, that they'll transform into books and on and on and on. Or I can focus on delight as I write each word of each post. That second option works much, much better for me. Look at a project that is important to you right now, something that you want to change and transform. Now imagine abandoning any hope of fruition. This doesn't mean fruition is actually any closer or further away. We're just letting go of the hope that a fruition will occur. How might you walk through this project differently, today unburdened by that unhelpful hope? There's a reason for each project that we take on. What is the underlying purpose? Where is the element of play hidden in the project? If you put aside the concept of self-sacrifice, where is the element of passion in the project for you today? All of these questions are much easier to answer if you hope of fruition. An article on another consultancy webpage explains it further. It's the website of Evolution Counseling at evolutioncounseling.com and the article is written by the owner of the Evolution Counseling, Michael Schreiner. He writes, Some of Thich Nhat Hanh's most important teachings are that right now we are enough as we are and right now all the necessary conditions for our happiness and fulfillment are available. 
We don't need to chase this or that goal in order to be happy. We don't need to attain this or that goal in order to be happy. What a liberating feeling when the full weight of the above is realized. We don't need more. We don't need to wait for vacations or promotions, houses or riches, changes in others or even changes in ourselves. All these things might be nice and desirable and worth going after, but we don't need them. We only need to do one simple thing, and this is touch the present moment with all of our being. We notice and connect with the wonders around us here and now, rather than split our attention and our being in parts as we regretfully look to the past, anxiously look to the future, or absent-mindedly drift in the present. We don't need to forget about the past or discard the present in order to arrive more fully in the present moment. We don't need to discard our goals and aspirations. We don't need to stop trying to be better people or stop moving along our continuum of self-actualization. We only need to realize that the best way to make this movement happen is to focus on and enjoy the process of each individual step in the journey and to realize that each step is its own reward, not just a means to some greater end. Then, suddenly, lights, colors, sounds, encounters, conversations, tastes, smells, and everything else that make up the fabric of our daily life takes on extraordinary, legendary dimensions. These experiences are lifted from the mundane and into the incredible. For all we know, we are the only organisms in the history of the universe with the capacity to at once experience life and reflect upon it. It's a miracle of the highest order, yet many of us come to take this miracle as normal or even boring. All we really need to do to make these moments legendary moments is to notice them, to bring our full attention to them, to use our in-breaths and out-breaths as portals for the recognition that we are alive and aware creatures in the cosmos. Next time you're listening to a great song and you get goosebumps, or you're out taking a walk and notice the beautiful light and colors, or you're hanging out with someone you love and they make you smile, stop and realize that you actually are touching nirvana and you don't need anything more to be truly happy and fulfilled. And that's Michael Schreiner from Evolution Counseling. But before we go on, let's now remember why we've tuned in today. I hope it's not just to pass the time en route to something more exciting, but with a genuine desire to benefit both ourselves and all others as well. Taken to include the wish for ultimate benefit, enlightenment in Buddhist terms, such a desire becomes bodhicitta, the wish to attain enlightenment so I can best benefit both myself and all others. So let's set enlightenment as our motivation today, definitely our own, and through that, all others, if possible. Thank you. And now, returning to the maxim, abandon all hope of fruition, let's go to Thich Han himself. In his book, Fear, he writes, When we are not fully present, we are not really living. We are not really there, either for our loved ones or for ourselves. If we are not there, then where are we? We're running, 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 even during our sleep. We run because we're trying to escape from our fear. 
We cannot enjoy life if we spend our time and energy worrying about what happened yesterday and what will happen tomorrow. If we are afraid all the time, we miss out on the wonderful fact that we are alive and can be happy right now. In everyday life, we tend to believe that happiness is only possible in the future. We are always looking for the right conditions that we don't have to make us happy. We ignore what is happening right in front of us. We look for something that will make us feel more solid, more safe, more secure. But we are afraid all the time of what the future will bring. Afraid we'll lose our jobs, our possessions, the people around us whom we love. So we wait and hope for that magical moment, always sometime in the future, when everything will be as we want it to be. We forget that life is only available in the present moment. The Buddha said, it is possible to live happily in the present moment. It is the only moment we have. The Bible tells the story of a farmer who discovered a treasure buried on his land. When he went back home, he gave up all his land and everything else he owned. He kept only that one small piece of land that contained the treasure. That treasure is the kingdom of God. We know that we should look for the kingdom of God in the present moment because the present moment is the only moment that is. The past is gone and the future is not here yet. So the place where you should look for the kingdom of God or the pure land of the Buddha, the place where you should look for your happiness, your peace and your fulfillment has to be in the present moment. It's so simple and clear. But since we have the tendency to slide back into the past or to run into the future, we have to recognize the habit and learn how to be free from it to really establish ourselves in the present moment. When the Buddha gave a talk to a large gathering of businessmen, the core of his message to them was, it is possible to live happily right in the present moment. The Buddha saw that most of the businessmen were very concerned about their future success and weren't capable of enjoying the present moment. They didn't have time for themselves or their families. They didn't have time to love and make people around them happy. They were continually being sucked into the future. The pure land is the present moment. The pure land is now or never. And the same is true with the kingdom of God. It's either now or never. The kingdom of God is not just a lovely idea. It's a reality. When you do mindful breathing and walking, you go home to the present moment and you touch the many wonders of life in you and around you. And all of that belongs to the kingdom of God. If you have found the kingdom of God, you no longer need to run after fame and riches and sensual pleasures. When we go home to the present moment, we understand there are so many conditions of happiness that we don't need to go running after yet another one. We already have enough conditions to be happy. Happiness is entirely possible right here and now. The Buddha's teaching about living happily in the present moment is a very pleasant one. We can be happy right now. The practice is also very pleasant. When we climb the hill together, we don't need to make an effort. We enjoy every step. Walking like that, if we are free of the past, free of the future, we can touch the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha, with every step. And that's Thich Nhat Hanh. We'll come to the practice in a moment. But talking about the kingdom of God, 
I'd like to contrast what Thich Nhat Hanh says with something Jiddu Krishnamurti said in reply to the question, Do you not agree that man should gain the kingdom of heaven through a life, like that of Jesus, wholly dedicated to service? Krishnamurti said this, I hope you'll not be shocked when I say that man will not gain the kingdom of heaven in this way. Now see what you're saying. Through service, I shall obtain something I want. Your statement implies that you do not serve completely. You're looking for a reward through service. You say, through righteous behavior, I shall know God. That is, you're really interested not in righteous behavior, but in knowing God, thus divorcing righteousness from God. But neither through service, nor love, nor worship, nor prayer, but on the very action of these, is there truth, is there God? Do you understand? When you ask, shall I gain the kingdom of heaven through service? Your service has no meaning, because you are primarily interested in the kingdom of heaven. You are interested in getting something in return. It's a kind of barter, as much of your life is. So when you say, through righteousness, through love, I shall attain, I shall realize, you are interested in the realization, which is but an escape, a form of imitation. Therefore, your love or your righteous act has no meaning. If you are kind to me because I can give you something in return, what significance has your kindness? And that is the whole process of our life. We are afraid to live. Only when someone dangles a reward before our eyes do we act. And then we act not for the sake of action itself, but in order to obtain that reward. In other words, we act for what we can get out of the action. It's the same in your prayers. That is, because for us action has no significance in itself, because we think that we need encouragement in order to act rightly, we've placed before us a reward, something we desire, and we hope that enticement, that toy, will give us satisfaction. But when we act with a hope of reward, then action itself has no significance. And that's Krishnamurti. That's very interesting. When we look into our lives, as Krishnamurti suggests, don't we find a continual barter system? We are almost always bartering action for reward. We're acting for a personal advantage, now or hopefully in the future. So very few of our actions can be pure. They're tainted by this conditioned longing for reward. And often we aren't even aware of it, are we? We think we're good people doing good things, but we don't really examine the depths of our motivation. And then the good things we do have, as Krishnamurti says, no significance. They don't resonate, or they resonate with pain and dissatisfaction. This desire for personal advantage is a pollutant, sometimes quite subtle, like a drop of oil in a bucket of water. But we can be so used to it, so inured to it, that we don't even realize it's driving us. And even if we do realize, we're too scared or skeptical to give it up and act purely out of necessity for action. Pure action does happen, but rarely, and often only in crisis. But let's now get back to the practice that Thich Nhat Hanh was talking about because I think it suggests a way out of this pervasive conditioned response for personal gain, even if it is the avoidance of fear. The great master starts off with a short verse. I have arrived. I am home. In the here, in the now, 
I am solid, I am free. In the ultimate, I dwell. Now remember, he's already said that when we are fully, but fully in the present moment, we can recognize that all the conditions for happiness already exist. These are the conditions that allow us to release all desire for gain and just accept being present with no preconditions at all. He writes, The practice of mindfulness is the practice of coming back to the here and now, to be deeply in touch with ourselves and with life. We have to train ourselves to do this. Even if we are very intelligent and grasp the principle right away, we still have to train ourselves to really live this way. We have to train ourselves to recognize the many conditions for happiness that are already here. You can recite the poem as you breathe in and out. You can practice this poem when you drive to your office. You may not have arrived at your office, but even driving, you have already arrived at your true home, the present moment. When you arrive at your office, this is also your true home. In your office, you are also in the here and now. Just practicing the first line of the poem, I have arrived, I am home, can make you very happy. Whether you are sitting, walking, watering the vegetable garden or feeding your child, it's always possible to practice, I have arrived, I am home. I have run all my life, I'm not going to run anymore. Now I am determined to stop and really live my life. When we practice breathing in and we say, I have arrived, we really arrive. That is success. To be fully present, 100% alive, is the real achievement. The present moment has become our true home. When we breathe out and say, I am home, and we really feel at home, we no longer have to be afraid. We really don't need to run anymore. We repeat this mantra, I have arrived, I am home, until it feels real. We repeat breathing in and out and taking steps until we are firmly established in the here and now. The words should not be an obstacle. The words only help you concentrate and keep your insight alive. It is the insight that keeps you home, not the words. Now can you see how this mindfulness practice becomes a practice of abandoning all hope for a reward? The journey of one step at a time, one breath at a time, keeping ourselves in the present moment, is the practice of the, uh, of the reward revealing itself in the very here and now. Concentrating on the present, we're not looking for any reward, but the reward is revealed anyhow. The journey is the reward. Thich Nhat Hanh shows us how this is with a parable about stranded astronauts. He says, imagine two astronauts going to the moon, and while they're there, there's an accident and their ship can't take them back to Earth. They have only enough oxygen for two days. There's no hope of someone coming from Earth in time to rescue them. They have only two days to live. If you were to ask them at that moment, what is your deepest wish? They would answer, to be back home walking on our beautiful planet Earth. That would be enough for them. They wouldn't want anything else. They wouldn't think of being the head of a large corporation, a famous celebrity, or the President of the United States. They wouldn't want anything but to be back here walking on earth, enjoying every step, listening to the sounds of nature, or holding the hand of their beloved while contemplating the moon at night. We should live every day like people who have just been rescued from dying on the moon. 
we are on the earth now and we need to enjoy walking on this precious, beautiful planet. Zen Master Li said, The miracle is not to walk on water or fire. The miracle is to walk on the earth. I cherish that teaching. I enjoy just walking, even in busy places like airports and railway stations. Walking like that, with each step caressing our Mother Earth, we can inspire other people to do the same. We can enjoy every minute of our lives. He then goes on, Many people forget their own body. They live in an imaginary world. They have so many plans and fears, so many agitations and dreams, and they don't live in their body. While we're caught in fear and trying to plan our way out of fear, we aren't able to see all the beauty that Mother Earth offers us. Mindfulness reminds you to go to your in-breath and to be totally with your in-breath, to be totally with your out-breath. Bring your mind back to your body and be in the present moment. Look deeply straight in front of you at what is wonderful in the present moment. Mother Earth is so powerful, so generous and so supportive. Your body is so wonderful. When you've practiced and you are solid like the Earth, you face your difficulty directly and it begins to dissipate. And that's Thich Nhat Hanh. And now, just for a little social science reinforcement that shows rewards are anyway not all they're cracked up to be, we go to www.spring.org and a Sci blog article by prolific author and psychologist Dr. Jeremy Dean. The article is titled How Rewards Can Backfire and Reduce Motivation and it goes like this. Surely one of the best ways to generate motivation in ourselves and others is by dangling rewards. Yet psychologists have long known that rewards are overrated. The carrot of carrot and stick fame is not as effective as we've been led to believe. Rewards work under some circumstances, but sometimes they backfire, spectacularly. Here's a story about preschool children with much to teach all ages about the strange effects that rewards have on our motivation. Psychologists Mark R. Lepper and David Green from Stanford and the University of Michigan were interested in testing what is known as the over-justification hypothesis, about which more later. Since parents so often use rewards as motivators for children, they recruited 51 preschoolers aged between 3 and 4. All the children selected for the study were interested in drawing. It was crucial that they already liked drawing because Lepper and Green wanted to see what effect rewards would have when children were already fond of the activity. The children were then randomly assigned to one of the following conditions. Ex expected reward, and in this condition, children were told they would get a certificate with a gold seal and a ribbon if they took part. Surprise reward. In this condition, children would receive the same reward as above, but crucially, weren't told about it until after the drawing activity was finished. No reward. Children in this condition expected no reward and didn't receive one. Each child was invited into a separate room to draw for six minutes, then afterwards either given their reward or not, depending on the condition. Then, over the next few days, the children were watched through one-way mirrors to see how much they would continue drawing of their own accord. Dr. Dean then presents a graph that shows the percentage of time the children spent drawing by experimental condition. The children who expected a reward spent about 8 or 9% of the time drawing, 
whereas the kids of the other two groups spent 18% of the time in the activity. Dr. Dean continues, So those who had previously liked drawing were less motivated once they expected to be rewarded for the activity. In fact, the expected reward reduced the amount of spontaneous drawing that children did by half. Not only this, but judges rated the pictures drawn by the children expecting a reward as less aesthetically pleasing. And this is not only true for children, though. Dr. Dean says other studies have shown it happens in all sorts of populations, many of them grown-ups. He reports, In one study, smokers who were rewarded for their efforts to quit did better at first, but after three months fared worse than those given no rewards and no feedback. Indeed, those given rewards even lied more about the amount they were smoking. Reviewing 128 studies on the effects of rewards, Deki et al. concluded that tangible rewards tend to have a substantially negative effect on intrinsic motivation. Even when tangible rewards are offered as indicators of good performance, they typically decrease intrinsic motivation for interesting activities. Rewards have even been found to make people less creative and worse at problem solving. So what's going on? The key to understanding these behaviours lies in the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. When we do something for its own sake, because we enjoy it or because it fills some deep-seated desire, we are intrinsically motivated. On the other hand, when we do something because we receive some reward like a certificate or money, this is ex extrinsic motivation. The children were chosen in the first instance because they already liked drawing and they were already intrinsically motivated to draw. It was pleasurable. They were good at it, and they got something out of it that fed their souls. Then, some of them got a reward for drawing, and their motivation changed. Before, they'd been drawing because they enjoyed it, but now it seemed as though they were drawing for the reward. What they had been motivated to do intrinsically, they were now being given an external in extrinsic motivation for. This provided too much justification for what they were doing, and so paradoxically, afterwards they drew less. This is the over-justification hypothesis for which Lepper and Green were searching, and although it seems like backwards thinking, it's typical of the way the mind sometimes works. We don't just work forwards from our attitudes and preferences to our actions, we also work backwards, working out what our attitudes and preferences must be based on our current situation feelings or actions. Not only this, but rewards are dangerous for another reason, because they remind us of obligations, of being made to do things we don't want to do. Children are given rewards for eating all their food, doing their homework or tidying their bedrooms. So rewards become associated with painful activities that we don't want to do. The same goes for grown-ups. Money becomes associated with work, and work can be dull, tedious and painful. So when we get paid for something, we automatically assume that the task is dull, tedious and painful, even when it isn't. This is why play can become work when we get paid. Dr. Dean says sometimes rewards do work, especially if people really don't want to do something. But he says when tasks are inherently interesting to us, rewards can damage our motivation by undermining our natural talent for self-regulation. That is Dr. Jeremy Dean with a good scientific argument why we should follow the mind-training teachings and abandon all hope for rewards. 
And that's where we have to leave the program today for our time is up. Thanks for being with us and I hope you got some benefit and will tune in again next week. Please dedicate to gaining enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.